Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and sitting across from me is, uh, is my good buddy Ryan Beach. It's an in-studio show, which is my always my favorite to do. Um, Ryan, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm doing better. Um, I apologize to all the listeners. Uh, taking the past two weeks off now, I believe. Um, you know, first off, I, I took the first week off because doing podcasts in like during the playoff series is so tough. It's like so reactionary and the shelf life on them is so short. You do one after like game two and you praise a team and then all of a sudden game three is the next day and it's like completely going the other way topsy-turvy. And then I got sick last week. Um, so now I'm back at it and we're here and we're going to do a bit of a uh, draft lottery uh, reaction slash recap <laughs> slash whatever show. Um, you're a big prospect guy. I know you'll do a lot of stuff, especially around the Canucks in that regard. And you're familiar with a lot of these names and stuff that people are just kind of getting well versed with now. So it's going to be fun to, uh, to go through that with you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the, you know, reactions have settled a little bit since Saturday evening. Yes. Uh, the Twitter was a, a little crazy with people's reactions to the lottery and uh, many things, especially here in Vancouver. So uh, it's kind of nice to decompress, take a couple of days and then kind of let this, the dust settle. So what do you... I mean, when we knew that it was coming to the bottom three, or I guess the top three picks, and it was going to be Buffalo, Montreal, Carolina, um, it actually wound up working out, in my opinion, like my favorite out of those three. I mean, I'm obviously not like cheering for any of those teams, but just in terms of what's best sort of for the league or what's the most interesting from a roster building perspective, I thought like Buffalo so badly needed a guy like Rasmus Dahlin and and just a defenseman in general. Yeah. And then uh, for Carolina, while obviously having another one of those guys, you can never have too many defensemen, but it seems like if they're good anywhere, it's there. And then getting a guy like whether it's Svechnikov or Zadina is going to be really useful for them. And yeah. then Montreal, I just, I was like, oh my God, if Montreal gets rewarded for just incompetent management by Mark Bergevin the past couple of years with the first overall pick here, I'm going to be sick to my stomach. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Yeah. It's not like a uh, get out of jail free card. Like yeah. Uh, Buffalo. Yeah. Buffalo needs that defenseman so badly. We, we obviously know the, you know, Ristolainen being a, a number one defenseman oh, talk all the time. Finally, they have a, they have a top, <laughs> top defenseman named Rasmus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, and then I saw like scuttlebutt about trading Rasmus Ristolainen now that they have Dolan and it's just like, don't, just take the yeah. Darlene and let's start fixing yes. these problems. And I think Carolina, they, they, 
you know, they have a good collection of prospects over the last couple of years in that five to 10, 15 range that they've been getting every year. They need a game breaker potential player. And I think Svechnikov is kind of that potential to slot in the middle and kind of fix a lot of their problems mm. um, on the ice, which will be, you know, it'll be good. You know, Svechnikov and Skinner or Svechnikov and Teravainen or Aho or anything. It makes everything a little bit better of what they have. And then they're not getting another prospect. It's going to take two or three years. Like we could be talking in October and Svechnikov's in the lineup and Nikash is in the lineup. And all of a sudden Carolina is able to overcome those little points that they weren't able to get to make the playoffs. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's tough because I, you know I did, I know it kind of goes against what I just said in terms of like Carolina really needs a forward like that. But also for a lot of these guys, I think sometimes we can get a bit too unrealistic with their timetables, and it's yeah. like you just expect these guys to step right into the lineup and contribute, and that's not fair to them. And that's typically not how it works. Unless I mean, like Rasmus Dahlin probably will be. I'm not sure if he's going to play top pairing minutes for Buffalo next year, but like <laughs> top four probably. Like, oh yeah. Um, I know Craig Custins wrote today that an anonymous GM, I wonder if it's Jason Botterill or not, uh, said that he thinks Rasmus Dahlin right now would be the best defenseman on a lot of NHL teams. Um, Here in Vancouver, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's a, I mean, that's the thing, though. You look around the league, and I feel like there really is... I don't know if it's a dearth of NHL defensemen or if it's teams are just bad at evaluating them still. So, like, there's a lot of guys who either get held back or aren't fully unleashed, but... You know, I was talking about this with Dom on a recent podcast, um, and it was the idea of why are scoring rates and shot rates up so much in the NHL this season? And one theory I floated out there was teams are more willing to use skilled, undersized forwards. But if you look on most teams' blue lines, there's still a lot of like dead weight from from a bygone era there. Yeah. Um, and so I just every team, and you hear it every year, every summer, and every trade deadline, it's teams need puck-moving defensemen, so yeah. uh, those guys are hot commodities, and that's why we're going to see at this year's draft, what, like four of like four or five of the top, whatever, ten guys are going to be what we'd consider to be pretty skilled defensemen? Yeah, I'd say so. I think, obviously, Darlene's the prize, yeah. but there's that group afterwards, which is a huge, the Boyquist, Dobson, I'd throw Ty Smith in that group as well, for right. sure. Um, Bouchard, I knew I was forgetting one of these mm. guys. Um, that five, like they, you know, I don't think they'll go six through ten, but that's any one of those could go in that grouping, and then the other one would fall outside that group. So you know, by the time the dust settles on the, you know, the lottery teams at the draft, we could see six, seven, eight defensemen already gone by that point, and all of them kind of have that same mold of being puck moving defensemen who can skate pretty well. And there's no like bruisers. There's no, you know, Eric Branson's. There's no Luke Shens in this group. There's no, right. you know guys getting fantasized by their potential of size it's, it's you know efficient puck movers who can get the puck out of the zone which is kind of where most teams are going now right so i know like doing a mock draft is kind of seems like a fruitless uh exercise at this point just because you can go one of two ways you could just go like chalk based on what everyone sort of seems to have as consensus or you can like try to make waves by just saying crazy stuff and not actually believing it and that's disingenuous and we don't want to do that but you know, if you're forecasting it right now, you know, we obviously know Dallin's going to go number one, and then it seems like Svechnikov's a lock at number two. Yeah. Um, after that, like, would any of those defensemen you mentioned there tempt you um, if you were number three with Montreal there, or do you just go with, or do you think Zadina and Kachuk as the two forwards are going to go after that? Uh, yeah, the team there in that slot definitely plays a lot into it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I feel like my own, you know, assessment of players that Zadina is the number three guy. Right. Um, but you know, a team like Montreal may feel the necessity to grab a defenseman and that could be, 
Hughes, that could be Boyquist, it could be any one of those guys. Um, and then that leaves Kachuk, or they might want to have that gritty forward who will, you know, grind his way to the front of the net to kind of compliment someone like Drewan or whoever, and that could be Kachuk. Yeah. So yeah, it is kind of a bit of a fruitless endeavor to mock draft these things because, you know, they're going to rank players based on needs. They're going to rank them based on what they could be, kind of things like that, where we may say, you know, that team could use a puck mocking defenseman, which I think we could probably say Montreal could use one, yeah. but they may prioritize getting some grit because that's what they feel that they're lacking, and, and Kachuk is probably closer to being NHL ready. Oh, man. It's yeah, it's it's tough. I especially see with, like, uh, you know, I imagine Mark Bergevin is probably on pretty thin ice right now there in Montreal. And it's like, if you're him and you're trying to save your job, you're probably trying to get the guy who can most quickly come step into the lineup and contribute yeah. for you and that's not necessarily in the best interest of the team moving forward so it's it's a really tough balance in that regard as well yeah no i agree and, and they have four second round picks right um, in that draft so they they're you know they're armed to be able to move picks to get nhl players and then you know they could add a brady kachuk as early as maybe not next year he's probably he's going to go back to college but the year after that suddenly he's in your lineup already right so mm-hmm. you're going to see more immediate changes where maybe if you want to go like quentin hughes who may take another year in the college and then a year in the hl may take a slower path those kind of plays into it and that's how you know, i hate doing mock drafts i never want to do them just because <laughs> of that fact right um so yeah you are absolutely right that plays into it so i do think that you know montreal was kind of a team that uh, I thought would be quite active if they hadn't won the lottery, mm-hmm. trying to get up and get into control what who they might get in the first round with those four second round picks. But now that they won the lottery, now they have those picks to trade and add NHL players now, kind of thing, right? So it kind of shifts what could happen. So where, where are you at with the current with the current system and the current draft lottery process? Like uh, uh, re- removing your allegiances with the Canucks aside, <laughs> yeah. and, like just do you think we're at an okay place with it? Do you think this is like a conversation we need to be having uh, more intensively in terms of how we can better the process? And if so, do you have a, a favorite solution? There's obviously a lot of theories out there on what adjustments they can make, but yeah, like I do really like the goal drafting system. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's like, you know, able to be applied into it and it's obviously a little right. bit harder, which is, you know, um, it's ranked by who the, sorry, the order will be ranked by how many points a team accumulates after being mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. So in that example, the Canucks would have been first because, you know, they won a bunch of games to right. drop down a few spots in the draft lottery. My major issue with the current system is that, you know, there's a significantly higher chance of you falling down than staying put or moving forward. Right. And that's obviously a result of the system. But, you know, at first glance or first thought, that kind of seems like a flawed system that, you know, you land in this spot, but you're going to actually end up further behind than where you were. So that what, you know, <laughs> what the benefit of the lottery, right? I, I did think that, the you know, the single lottery might have been the better system, um, but you know, Edmonton won 17 years in a row or whatever yes. it was. So that kind of created a perception of it not being great. But I think that's the least impact because I think the ultimate goal of the entry draft is to bring more parity to the league, mm-hmm. to give, you know, star players to put teams who don't have it at that time or may have had an off year. And the three system, uh, sorry, the three lottery system is kind of changing that because there is a drastic difference from the four, first overall pick to the fourth overall pick. It's not huge, right. but we're still talking that we're, you know, if we look at the last couple of years, we're talking Connor McDavid's, um, you know, last year. Uh, you know, Kale McCarr is going fourth overall. That's a big difference than than Nico Heischer at first overall, who he made an impact in the NHL right. right away. I think that's a really important point you raised. Like, what the definition, like, of the, like what the point of this whole thing is. Like, if you're trying to increase parity, that's one thing. Um, that's why I always when when people are complaining about teams, you know, tanking or not fielding the best lineups they yeah. can at the end of the seasons to increase their lottery odds, like. 
that's within the rules and you should be doing that if you're a bad team. Like there's no incentive for winning games if you're already out of it. So, but I understand why like people are against that. I mean, it just seems not even against what the sport is about, but it just, it's like you, in theory, every team should be trying to win as many games as they can. So that's where the goal system comes into place. And I wonder, it just seems way too risky for (laughs) risky for the NHL. Like it's almost disingenuous in a way. Like, you know, um, you're you're still have paying customers to come and watch this product and like we i think we can all agree that players aren't going to play to lose and coaches aren't going to coach to lose but you know teams will make active decisions to manipulate to the lineup right and we see that you know vancouver as we sit here we saw that you know they kind of traded players away players were shut down they brought up some young guys uc okanen was in the top six there we go yeah it's not saying that they were actively tanking but there was you know steps that you could say okay this team is you know they're not trying their hardest to win kind of right. thing right um by the by the moves they make like still these players were going out there and trying their hardest yes. and then you know they still won a few games in the move from you know third last or second last which they were with two weeks less in the season to six last and then now they fall to seventh and you know we the canucks aren't very good team right now and the difference That's a pretty between, generous way to put it yeah i'm trying to be i'm trying to be slightly positive mm-hmm. generally on my my twitter I, I angle towards positive even though being realistic right right that, right um you know there is a difference between Andrei Svechnikov and whomever they'll get at seventh overall. Right. Yes. And I guess, what is it? It's like the Canucks and the Coyotes are probably the two teams that could take the biggest issue with the lottery system right now. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a lottery. So it's not the ones to blame necessarily, yeah. but in terms of like the ones, the teams that have been shafted the most, it's probably them. I mean, as I tweeted uh, at the time, the Canucks have been the worst team in the league over the past three years. And they have the fifth, fifth, and seventh overall picks to show for it. And now you can make the argument that they weren't the worst team in any of those individual seasons. But as you mentioned, in terms of the paying customer, uh, just in terms of wins and losses yeah. and what fans have been being treated to, they've been the worst team by pretty much any measurement. So it's it's tough that you don't really have uh, anything to show for that. Whereas I guess you could spin it for Buffalo uh, after all those years of... It's funny how it works out. After all those years of tanking, like yeah. intent, pretty intentionally and not yeah. really even trying to hide it, they kept missing out on the first overall pick, and now this year, they actually seem to head into the season trying to be at least respectable, and they yeah. wound up being 31st, and it's cool that they are, I don't want to say, can we say rewarded for it? It seems dirty. Yeah, almost. yeah, it is funny, because they, you know, they didn't actively tank, as we I kind of yeah. outlined there, but they definitely had some bad luck with injuries. They kind of, you know, players didn't do what they expected. Everything kind of fell, and then they ended up winning the lottery anyways in the year yeah. that they, you know, kind of didn't try to, or, you know, the Connor McDavid year, they they you know, I think we can actively say they yeah. did. And, um, they, you know, they, unfortunately, a lot of balls didn't go their way. They still got Jack Eichel, who's still, you know, arguably a franchise center for them. Yeah. And, um, it worked out well, but now they get the defenseman that they need. And, um, yeah, it also, it always comes back though. You have to be good, um, on the draft floor and make the smart moves. Like you, you, you mentioned Arizona and, you know, I think they hit a home run with Clayton Keller at seventh overall. Yeah. Um, and then last year they had the same spot and they traded that away to get a number one center in Steppen and Steppen mm-hmm. and Ranta. And, um, you know, they had a pretty good season overall. They were really good in the second half. Yeah. Um, but it's just kind of, you know, it's, it's how, so how you make those picks, you know, picking seventh or sixth isn't going to be the end of the world. And now you have to make sure you find the right player. Um, looking at some of these most interesting teams, obviously, like outside of that top three. Um, ooh, okay, here's a here's a good one for you. So Ottawa has the fourth overall pick. Um, if you are running the Senators now, they have the opportunity to if they retain the pick this year and pick fourth overall, 
yeah. they have to give away next year's pick to Colorado as part of the Matt Duchesne trade. Do you think that the player they're going to get at fourth overall this year is uh, a high enough caliber of a prospect to justify potentially giving away the first overall pick next season? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, w- I would lean towards no. Yeah. Um, even if, you know, like arguably, let's say Montreal gives up um, or sorry, takes Kachuk at the mm-hmm. three slot, which I don't think will happen, but right. it could happen. And you're looking at Zadina on the board. Is Zadina a better prospect than Jack Hughes? And the, it's, you know, a, yeah, it's <laughs> there's no, no question about right. it, right? So uh, that's, yeah, that would be really hard. I wouldn't have made that Matt Duchesne deal in the first place. Right. Uh, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I it, that would be really tough to do. Uh, you may... You know, you may have to just take the pick and, and hope for the best. Hope you have a little bit better luck um, than they did this year. Well, yeah, it's it's like from the PR perspective, it's you got to kind of throw your phone, your fans a bone a bit, especially after the year they went through. Not only the losing, but every like all the entire Eric Carlson uh, just back and forth. And is he going to be dealt or not? And just yeah. sweating it out until the deadline and to like give away that pick and out of Colorado. Like that'd be such a tough way. Like, it's, how do you save face with that with your fan base? You the, then you basically go into next season going like, man, we better get the first overall yeah. pick here to justify that. You're playing with fire. And the Eric Carlson thing and definitely plays into it for sure because if he's not coming back... I well, think- that's the thing. I mean, if they trade Eric Carlson this summer, for example, you yeah. assume what they're going to get back is a lot of futures. Yeah. Like they're not going to get guys who are to step into the lineup right away. Like You can make the argument they're going to be the worst team in the league next season. Yeah, no, I think you you could, and then I, if that's the, if if you you know if you go into that GM meetings and you've decided that this is Eric Carlson and we're going to burn this thing to the ground and right. we're going to get as many futures, then yeah, I might consider trading the or moving that fourth overall pick. Uh, Ooh, and to be honest with you, like I don't even know what the the considerations of the deal is and when they have to give it to them. Uh, like right, like leading up to the pick, I think they can like go up to the podium. I would the time do everything pick. possible to trade down to eighth or ninth or whatever yeah. it is, and then move that pick. And if, if you're going down that Carlson way, because if there's no conditions to say it has to be provided by June first, it has to be provided the day mm-hmm. before the draft, and even then you can make trades now. If you if you have made the conscious effort to say, okay, we're trading Eric Carlson, then I'm phoning up Vancouver, I'm phoning up you know Chicago, I'm phoning up whoever. And I'm making every possible effort to get down five, six, seven, eight spots. Give Colorado that pick, and then go from there. You know what? I've never even, I'd never even really considered that. But that is very, very smart and shrewd. And I think, uh, you know, get as much as many assets as you can in return for that. Like, because I, yeah. I don't think it, there's anything in the letter of the law that says they, like, they can trade that pick right now. Yeah. For other stuff, and then, but. Uh, obviously, like, we, like kind of, we're spitballing here, and we're not privy to what the exact conditions are. If it does, yeah, I wonder. I wonder there must be some sort of condition because, in theory, like, what if they just traded the pick for like players? Yeah, it and, might be stipulated as being Ottawa's first round pick and mm, not a first round pick, and right. then that's where the, the so, conversation stops. Right. Yeah, so I think I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Scratch. Scratch. <laughs> scratch. What I said. I, we, I, we felt good there. You got the wheels turning. I was like, oh, that's genius. How come I haven't heard that? Yeah. Um, so there was like a thirty second window there where like someone who was aware of that was like freaking out and yeah. yelling, yelling in their phone, "You idiot!" Yeah, we're gonna get a tweeter. <laughs> yeah, a couple at least. Um, it's all in good fun. Um, yeah, so that's a tough one. That's a sticky situation. Um, looking here, like Arizona at five. Uh, I think they're probably feeling pretty good about that. Like they're going to get a good player there. And obviously they're still riding a high off how they ended the season. So it seems like everything worked out there. Like whereas for the Canucks at seven or even Detroit at six, it's like, uh you got to take whoever is the best available at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Both those teams need, need whoever, um, which brings us to eight and Chicago and they're interesting. So they have the eight and the 30, 
first. No, so they have Nashville's first. They have Nashville's first. So we'll see where that's going to be, but it's probably going to be the last couple of picks, whatever, yeah. the first round. Um, if you were running the Blackhawks, would you be tempted to use that pick to either get a player right now who could help you um, and sort of help reopen this window with Kane and Taves and this core and Keith and all those guys, or potentially even using it to get out from under Brent Seabrook's contract, which would then allow you to use that money to help the team right now? Or do you think... I mean, they've drafted pretty well, and they've found unique ways to get college free agents and stuff like that over the years, but they're still a team just based on how good they've been in the past few years. It's not like they have a loaded pipeline of prospects. So getting it... Like they, when's the last time they picked anywhere near this high? It's been years now, so I understand they'd probably be tempted to just get a really good prospect here, but it also must be pretty tempting to use this as a weapon to try and improve your present day roster as well. Yeah. They're kind of, um, they have some interesting players coming. They don't mm-hmm. have any game breakers and I don't know if eight affords them that opportunity, the same thing, but I think they probably, you know, the, whoever the eighth overall pick would probably be within the conversation as their best prospect. And right. that's a hard thing to pass up. Um, I don't know if that cost is worth the eighth overall pick though. That's the, that's uh, <laughs> you asked before we started recording and I, I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then looked at Brent Seabrook's length of deal left. And I keep forgetting how many years are left. Yeah. It's, it's, it's simply amazing. Is that the best way to describe it? Um, I, I may just try to ride it out with that group because I don't know how many more years you're going to be able to, um, exploit the, this window of Kane and Taves. Um, and you have a re- okay supporting cast there right now and mm-hmm. you might have enough to do it. Um, and then just, take the eighth overall pick and start going from there. I would, I think that Nashville pick is the one I would try to use to get out from under the Seabrook deal. If I'm going to do anything. Yeah. But I mean, a pick that low, I can't, I don't like, I don't know how much wiggle room that pick even affords you. Like it's yeah. a valuable, it's still a first round pick, but yeah. it's like, don't know if it's out to get you out of one, how many, seven more years, eight more. Years. No, no, that'd be a tough one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause that's, the, that's the thing, right? It's like, there's a bunch of those teams. Ooh, there we go. Um, there's a bunch of teams, whether it's like in Arizona, we've seen in the past that have taken on dead money basically to get some sort of draft capital. Yeah. But that much money that far into the future, you're basically saying like, you're shutting the door on like seven years from now, we're not even going to need that money. It's like, how yeah. do you, how do you know that? Like, well, yeah, <laughs> it, I don't like even let's say a team like the Canucks or Detroit. Yeah teams that are kind of in that thing where hoarding assets are better and they're not too fine or they're not too bad in the cap space situation. Even then, like, I don't know if an eighth overall pick is enticing enough to, um, for one to take on that much money. And I think like, I don't think Seabrook, I think Seabrook can play in the NHL just not extremely yeah. well and yeah. doesn't, and the cost value isn't there. So I, I just don't, I don't see a match even too when doing it. And it's, it's Chicago's in a rock and a hard place because of the things that I mentioned that they don't have enough, like they have supporting cast, but not something to break and they could use the eighth overall pick, but they also should try to get out of that deal. So it's, that's a really, um, that's not a good situation. <laughs> no, no, not ideal. Um, but you know what? They have all those cup rings to, uh, to help. <laughs> they they can't hear us with yes, their cup rings. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then that's, this is the point of the draft where, I mean, it includes the eighth overall pick, but, you know, when you get to nine here with New York, the Rangers, or 10 with Edmonton, or even, you know, 11, 12 with the Islanders, like, I guess we'll see how the draft goes and whether there's players there the teams are really intrigued by. But those are the picks where, like, it seems like if there's going to be fireworks, a lot can happen. Like, especially with like a team like the Islanders, for example. Yeah. Like, you know, having 11 and 12 and then this whole entire Tavares situation looming, like, if they wanted to get very creative or feisty 
and try to help the team right now, they could yeah. do so. Um, but it seems like the Islanders' MO the past few years has been, under Garth Snow, has been to just chill out and just take two guys. And yeah. based on the way they've drafted recently, like I'm sure someone really good is going to slip to them in one of those picks. But yeah. um, it's always, it's it, especially the fact that they have those two picks back-to-back, like it opens such a interesting room for just getting creative and potentially either trading them, packaging them, or doing whatever. I don't know. Yeah, they might be the team that kind of tries to move up um, mm. with one of those picks to you know get into the four, five, six, seven spot, get a player that they want rather than hoping who falls to them. Um, I, I think that myself and a lot of people kind of view it as like, you know, there's Darlene at the top, and then we got Svechnikov and Zadina as kind of the two, three in a separate tier um, with I put Svechnikov ahead. And then it's kind of like four through 12, four through 13, that like, you know, the, the higher of that group is better, but, you know, the lower, it's not a huge difference between the two. So, um, you know, if you're not, you know, if you don't are fixated on a certain player, you can just kind of wait and to see who falls to you. And that might be what the Islanders do. And then the Tavares situation might play, play a lot into it. Mm. Okay. Um, we're going to do a little, little tease here. We're going to do a break, but afterwards, stick around because Ryan will be telling you who his favorite sleeper and bust pick is in this year's draft. Um, back in a second. Before we continue on with the show, let me tell you a little bit about SeatGeek. Um, SeatGeek's been a longtime sponsor of the show, and especially this time of year, it seems relevant to uh, keep talking about them because it's playoff season and we want to get you to the game so you can enjoy the uh, in arena atmosphere at some of these games. Um, you know, just from watching at home, whether it's been the lightning games or the games in Vegas or San Jose or Nashville, obviously it seems like these teams really now are kind of just embracing the uh, entertainment experience, especially before the game with all the festivities and everything they do for the fans. And it seems like a pretty, pretty cool time and a pretty good place to be. So let's get you there. Um, here's the deal with SeatGeek. They're going to save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to help compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek actually grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase you make with them is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And here's the best thing of all. My listeners will get $20 off their free first SeatGeek purchase today. That'll come in handy when you're going to one of those games at T-Mobile Arena in Vegas. Uh, I was checking the other day, and it looks like Game 5 against San Jose uh, here in the second round is going for about $400 to $500 uh, for every ticket in the lower bowl. So it's pretty pricey, but uh, we can at least get you $20, $20 cheaper and $20 off your first purchase there. Uh, just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today. That's promo code PDO for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now let's get back to Ryan Beach and the Hockey PDO cast. Okay, uh, no pressure here, Ryan, but I will, I will say last year when I asked you this, I remember I had you and Garrett hold on yeah. uh, a bit closer to the draft, so maybe uh, it's unfair to you now because maybe last year you had had more time to do research and prepare, but I'm sure you're on top of it right now, and you gave me Morgan Frost as one of your favorite sort of under-the-radar um, sleeper guys. Or In 2017, 2018, it's so tough to have like the traditional sleeper because people are just so much more informed and yeah. information is out there and readily available. But, you know, outside the top, like let's say like 15 or 20 guys where it's like not necessarily a household name yet, but this guy in his draft plus one year, everyone's going to be like salivating at his numbers and being like, how did this guy fall to 26? Yeah. Um, do you have any guys like that 
for this year's class? Oh, that's that's a tough one. I, I, it's funny because you bring up Morgan Frost. I went back to look at our profiles on Canucks Army, and uh, I, I think we had him like 45th. Because when we I, when we do that list, we have to submit our list super early, mm-hmm. like basically now, right? And then then we have two months to get all these posts out. So uh, he came out a lot lower than what he actually ended up. So then a lot of my viewings um, happen now to the end of the year because that's when <laughs> there's actually free time, right? Um, and and when by the time I finally came on here, Morgan Frost was a player that kind of stood out to me. So. Uh, you know, it, it's hard. It's, I find it really hard with this group to kind of point to a few players. Like there's some players that I really like myself. I think that, uh, Jonathan Bergren, um, who was on the U18, uh, Swedish team has been rising significantly in people's rankings over the last month. He had a really good U18 showing, um, just really good one-on-one skills. And I think he's someone who's going to go higher than people originally anticipated even a month ago. I think like he could be flirting as late first, early second, potential mm-hmm. uh, just because people like his games. And another play that's been rising quite a bit is Martin Kaut, uh, the Czech forward. And uh, I want to disclaim that I am terrible at pronouncing names. So if I'm <laughs> wrong on that, uh, you can tell me now. Uh, yeah. He's another player that uh, has been rising. He made the Czech World Championships team um, over Philip Zadina, and that's a pretty big accomplishment. And I think those are the two players that in the late first, early second that are kind of kind of surprise people. Um, uh, you know, they're going to you know, they'll probably go in that range. And then next year we'll talk about them as being, you know, pretty good value for where they were. Um, and Philip Hedel was another player last year. Mm. That I want to add that, uh, us Canucks army people That's were pretty true. high on. Um, and I can't remember what he went 27th. Yeah. He went with, well, the Rangers, the Rangers got him with their second pick. Yeah. 21. Oh, it was in the twenties or yeah, whatever. And it was a bit 20s, of a surprise yeah. for people. And he's obviously, you know, made the team of the camp. Yep. Um, and has been playing extremely well. So, uh, but yeah, the, I think that, um, there's, there's a lot of players in that group that late, late first, early second, that are really interchangeable. And it's going to take teams preferences to, uh, see who kind of stat, like kind of who goes ahead of each other. Uh, but those are kind of the two names that stick out to me. Um, there's a defenseman, Niels Lundqvist as well. Um, plays really well played in the SHL. Those are kind of things I, I, I talked about it last year, but I seem to be, um, anytime there's a, a, a teenager playing in the Finnish league, Liga or the SHL immediately, I'm drawn to those players because of their success rates and, and how well they usually come out after that. Right. Well, let's okay. Let's dig a bit deeper there, with like with theory or philosophy for the draft. Like, what are you, what are you looking for? Because I always find the idea of, um, I think there's with scouting and with uh, like pro scouting, there's a lot of uh, value to be gained from the eye test and from multiple viewings of something. Yeah. But with a lot of these players come the draft, especially when you get out of the first round, um, it's just silly to me that you could have seen a guy enough times to feel super comfortable one way or another yeah. on which way they're going to go. I mean, maybe I always bring this up, but you never know. Like the guy might be just having a, a crappy week. You know, he might've broken up with his girlfriend. He might be yeah. sick. He might be this and that. And you, you just, if you see him on a bad night, you just write him off and be like, ah, oh, this guy's not going to be a player. And then all of a sudden, He's amazing. It's like, oh, well, maybe that, ha- it happens that happens all the time. All the time. Yeah, um, I'm still fairly new into the like hockey circles and the scouting circles. I'm, I'm a couple years in, and mm. I've definitely noticed that at like uh, going to Giants games here locally and, and just overhearing the group of scouts that's sitting there and they constantly talking about these players and co- and you'll hear these things that like, oh no, this player isn't very good. He can't skate, and then you know you're watching me like, what is this scene? And it's exactly yeah. that. You'll you'll wonder like, what what week was this? Kid, are you watching this kid or like yeah. was he hurt or whatever? And and that's always a it's always fascinating to see how players shake out and a lot of it also comes down to the conversations that the teams have on the in their draft rooms like you'll have a swedish scout who says that this kid is going to be an nhl player and he's the one who beats his drum loud enough and he's gonna quiet the whl scout who thinks that 
you know, another player is going to be an NHL player. And then it, it just so happens that they have X player ahead of Y player and it didn't work out for them. And yeah. it's, it's always so fascinating to understand, um, you know, when they saw these players, why they don't like it and, and how much it plays into it. Um, I think that uh, scouting staffs are improving as a whole, You incorporating data um, into their decision process, which is good because, um, you know, it helps to vet opinions and biases yeah. and things like that. And it, it, we're starting to see more, you know, better results because of it. Yeah. I'd say, um, you know, it's interesting. I was watching uh, Winnipeg versus Nashville last night, uh, game two. And, um, you know, you're watching a guy like Nick Ehlers. And obviously, he was a top prospect. Yeah. But you just watch him play it. And, um, you know, the score, goal scoring ability and all that is one thing. But even if, like, he had no touch whatsoever and just what, had no actual skill in that regard. Like, you watch what he's capable of in the neutral zone with his zone entries and the ability to transition the puck just yeah. by himself. And that's such a remarkable skill. And that's one of those things where, you know, I, I had never really gotten to watch him play that much in Major Junior. His numbers were obviously through the roof. But yeah. there was I remember there was, like, a lot of pushback of people being like, oh, how good is he actually? Because he was playing with Drew and I think. And people weren't sure how much of that was him and how much of that was environment. And then, you know, if you watch some of that tape and then it's like, oh, this guy is just, you know, a, a dynamic force just capable yeah. of stuff by himself. So that's obviously an extreme example. But there's, like, guys like that where obviously viewings of him will help quite a bit because there's certain skills that might not necessarily translate into especially for some of these leagues like all we have is like points and it's like yeah. well there's a lot there's a lot not being captured with that or it might be attributing too much to a guy who's not actually who's just getting a lot of second assists or something like that well up until this year the whl didn't track individual shots yeah like i it, it Great. I, unfathomable in my I mind i think the ncaa still doesn't even have ice time totals do they correct yeah uh, well, neither does most of the major juniors. It's just which is considering average. how much is online, like yeah. and how much value that would provide. That is just mu- staggering to me. And how much analysis you can get out of it. Yeah. Like there's now, I think that like we have companies that are you know third party companies mm-hmm. and teams will pay for data and they track right. and can figure that stuff out. But like as a league, they're not tracking. They're these not publicly things. releasing that information. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and like I said, it fa- like it just fascinates me how much of these things play into it. The role we talk about Morgan Frost. He was kind of behind some players last year on Sault Ste. Marie and then he got a bigger role and exploded and there's a player like that in this year's draft class Barrett Hayton who's a similar situation he didn't put up similar like crazy numbers but he was playing more of a depth role for them mm-hmm. he's now he's projected being the 10 to 20 range because people think he has those skill set to now when he gets a bigger role he'll kind of explode from there so yeah it, it's always intriguing to understand why player x fell down and, and changed and we saw you know Andreas Johnson with the Maple Leafs yep seventh round pick uh, i had some people kind of asking me that, that you know why did he fall the seventh round and the only conclusion i could come to is he was slight he was a skinny kid who grew a little bit when he was 17 right and right. it could have been that you know this the swedish like the swedish scouts only saw him once or twice and kind of wrote him off and didn't think in it and then the maple leafs decided to take a flyer on him and he um turned out pretty okay so far so uh it, it's it's yeah, the best way to say it is oh. it's just fascinating. <laughs> oh, 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 my God. Speaking of guys who have developed like that physically, Henrik Borgstrom. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he was a first-round pick, but I remember at the time, it was, felt like kind of a bit of a reach by the Panthers, or it was off yeah. the board at least, and people were like, what's going on here? And then you do some of the research, it's like, oh, this guy just grew an insane amount and was probably yeah. having a tough time adjusting to his new body and a lot of teenage, teenager problems. And yeah. uh, now you watch him, what he was doing at the University of Denver, and next year, what he will be doing for the Panthers. And 
I mean, his nickname, The Artist, is very well-deserved. He's, oh, he's such an insane, insane talent. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to give a little shout-out to, uh, to our friends, the computer boys there, yeah. for that find. Uh, yeah, no, I, I was in Buffalo. I was the first draft I attended. Mm. Um, I wasn't lucky enough to be in the risers for day one. I wasn't uh, legit enough and still not. <laughs> but um, I remember that we were always sitting there typing away at something I can't remember. And then the Florida Panthers went up, and I, I piqued my interest, obviously, because of mm-hmm. the computer boys. And they take Henrik Boardstrom. And the, like, the mood in the room, it felt like the air was sucked out, and it was a total, like, who the hell is that? Yeah. Like it was, everyone's like shuffling their papers. Like, whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa. I, I, I never had experienced anything like that, but yeah. it definitely everyone was like, who was that? And then we, you know, we see that, you know, he was just grew and, yeah. and he was going to the NCAA and he had, he was a wizard with the puck. He's yep. able to carry it really well. And you know, despite his side, he's really crafty with it. Um, and, and that's kind of the thing is that how did they know? And obviously mm. given that it's, you know, he had some really good underlying stuff. So, um, it was a home run pick there. And so, uh, Ehlers, get back to Ehlers. I yeah. want, um, you like, I went to Young Stars that year in here in Penticton, mm-hmm. and the, that guy was just electrifying. Yeah, it, it was Nikolai Ehlers and everyone else on the ice, and um, you know the size concerns weren't there. Um, why did he fall to eighth? Um, even if you say he, you know he's really good in the neutral zone, how much value is there in that mm-hmm. aside from his offensive capabilities? Yeah. Well. You know, when you're watching these playoffs, like the, especially now in the second round, if you just look at all eight teams that are left, um, the one unifying skill is they're all just really fast and really, really like not even it's easy to say really skilled and, you know, scoring a lot of goals. But what sticks out to me watching these games is the tr- transition game yeah. for all those teams. Like it's how quickly they move the puck from one zone to the other and how that is that really embodies like the developments in the game and the evolution of it. And whether that's a defenseman who can help break out there, or if it's forwards who can do the carry the puck into the zone, um, like you need to be able to do that in today's NHL, and that's where the high end talent really shows the most. And I just want, like, do you think we're seeing that at this point reflected enough in the draft process in terms of what teams are valuing, or do you think it's still? It's improved from where it was maybe five, ten years ago, but it's still lagging a bit. I think it's still improved. I still think that the teams could be definitely more efficient with their late round picks. Mm. Um, you know, the teams kind of stand out to me that to do that well are Pittsburgh, um, Tampa Bay. Um, it's just getting skill. Um, and then if they want to get bruisers or whatever, they'll trade for them. And right. then I think that's a way, a much more efficient way of doing it. Um, I, I think, yeah, we're seeing it more reflected in this draft class. Um, like all these kind of defensemen, there's going to be a lot of defensemen going in the early parts. There's going to be a lot of defensemen in the 20 to 50 range. And mm-hmm. there's not really, in my opinion, like those prototypical giant defensemen who can't put up points, who can't move the puck well. They're just known for being physical. To some degree, all these defensemen are good at moving the puck out of the zone. And if they aren't, then they're good at carrying the puck out of the zone. Right. And there's value in that. And I think it's the it's the kids recognizing, junior hockey recognizing, to then, you know, we're at this point where they're going to be drafted, where these kids are, are understand where the NHL is going and how it's more important that the puck can move faster than anyone else on the ice. Yep. Um, so, and so there's value in that, and that will help you get more points and, and better underlying numbers. So I think that we are seeing that maturation process of – hockey mm-hmm. um, we're just still kind of in that infant stages of uh, how do we recognize where there's value and where you know where a player might look good at doing it but where can it be exploited negatively and positively yeah you're right you mentioned like luke shen earlier and like eric branson for example like it you know one thing that's definitely changed over the years is teams have realized that just based on like the unpredictability of it or the value of it like goalies just aren't being taken high anymore yeah. like if they are, it's towards the end of the second, oh, oh, the end of the first round. Yeah. Um, and then you, when you get to that second, third round range, then teams are kind of taking, uh, kind of sw- 
home run swings at it, but yeah. it's not, you're not, I can't imagine we're ever going to see a goalie taken first overall again. No. And I, it seems crazy to imagine now that we're going to see that type of a defenseman, the profiles like that taken in the top three to five, like we have in the past. So you're right. I think like at the top of the draft, it's getting a lot better, but it does still seem like you mentioned there that certain teams are good at seeing it all the way through and realizing that this guy might be a long shot because he's playing overseas and he might not want to come here or, you know, he's undersized. So we don't, we're not sure how he's going to hold up physically, but let's just take a chance anyways. Yeah. And then there's teams that are using their like sixth round pick on a guy who profiles as a fourth line center. And it's like, if you're profiling as a fourth line center in major junior, you will probably not be a fourth line center. in the when you get to the NHL level, cause that's just not yeah. how it works. Like those guys are usually like the failed top prospects. Yeah, they usually are. And it's, 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 you know, there's always going to be the outlier of the uh, junior kid who just worked really hard and worked his way up. Mm. But the majority of those lower players are players that just weren't able to get offensive yep. abilities at the top and they were taken there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's about adjusting the view and carrying it all the way throughout. Um, we're seeing teams are adapting and evolving to make those better decisions. And it's, um, it is, you know, it's making it the whole draft process better. Um, you know, obviously like a lot of people point to, you know, a successful draft quote unquote is two out of seven picks, mm. but we're talking about like history. We're talking about right. how they were inefficient. There wasn't data being used for this. I'm curious to see how, in if we have this conversation in 10 years, what's considered an accessory is it three, three and a half players, because we have these kids who are maturing, who are now going through these programs where they have agents since they're 15. They're going into programs that are meant to do this. They're understanding what needs to be done. Teams are getting smarter, things like that, and how much is changing. So, um, and lastly, I'm always, I always trouble like, uh, yeah, yeah, I can, I can see it. You see the, you see the wheels training. <laughs> uh, Quentin Hughes is an example. Mm. When, like, Wait, I can we, can we call him Quinn? I'd like to call him Quinn. You, yeah. you, you, you're so I'm formal. Just, you're, you I'm not sure if Quentin. it's one N or two N's. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, well, verbally, you can just call Quinn, him and just say Quinn uh, is go for it. Quinn, uh, when, when was the last five, nine defenseman in the conversation for top five pick? Oh man. And I could honestly, I mean, how many five, nine defensemen are even in the NHL right now? As much as we say it, but the league how, is more progressive. Yeah. It's like, what? It's like Jared Spurgeon, Tori Krug, Tori Krug, Stetcher. Joe Hicketts, if he yeah, makes it. Like, there's a, there's a handful of yeah. ones, but there's still value in those players. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that that's a pretty good indication of how things are changing. That mm-hmm. the team might be willing to take a risk on uh, a small kid like Quinn Hughes, who's just continues to put up points and is absolutely dynamic with the puck where maybe five years ago, where he's in the 10 to 20 range, despite what he's done. Right. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you, you watch, um, let's say like LA San Jose in the first round. It's like, or no, sorry, uh, LA Vegas. And you're wondering like, Oh, you know, how are Vegas's defensemen going to hold up against LA's bruising four check and physical style? It's like, well, you don't have to worry about those questions because by the time that four checker gets there, the puck's already gone. Exactly, the defenseman yeah. skilled enough. Right. Yeah. Like every time, Trevor Lewis or Kyle Clifford is coming in for a body check. Shea Theodore has already gotten the puck out of the zone and he can skate away. And so obviously like all things being equal, you would prefer the guy who's going to be more physically imposing and able to hold up in that regard. But those things generally aren't uh, all things equal. And when you get in trouble is when you start overvaluing one thing for the other. And I think just, take the most skilled guys. There's no, nothing in the CBA that says you're not allowed to do so. You can have as much, much skill, skill as you want and uh, let everything else fall into place and figure it out after. I think the UFA market also changes things because, you know, you don't want to commit, you know, a properly run team doesn't want to commit long-term to a, a free agent who's coming mm-hmm. 26, 27, 28, 29. Right. But what you can find there 
is a Brian Boyle. You can find a Dominic Moore. You can find, like the Canucks did a few years ago, Manny Malhotra. Right. And you can commit a little bit more money to that player to get them to sign for one or two years and fill that hole that you have that you might not have within your prospect group. Right. Um, and I think that's probably the, you know, the more efficient way of getting things. And then you're not hemorrhaging yourself with a, a Brent Seabrook contract. You're not, you're not committing yourself to these players who are going to fall off a map yeah. um, physically and, 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 and not be able to keep up. Um, so, you know, don't draft a defense, uh, you know, a guy that you're hoping to be a five, six defenseman draft a guy that you're hoping to be a three, four defenseman. And if he doesn't reach it, then he slots in your bottom pairing. Yeah. That's kind of the way to go. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, okay. So one final thing then, uh, is there a guy in this year's class that's sort of, I don't know, I guess the most recent examples like Michael Rasmussen where it's people are high on him and his numbers look okay. I guess like just on the surface. But then if you actually, I remember the knock on him at the time of the draft was, Oh, well, so much it was, on, it was on the power play, blah, blah, blah. If you look at his five on five production, it wasn't necessarily that impressive. You know, he's basically like a grown man playing against children in the major junior. But by the time you come to the higher levels, that's not going to be the case anymore. And is he going to be able to keep up? Like, is there someone in this year's class who you look at as a red flag candidate, whether it's based on the production or just based on uh, like context, I guess. I can't think of like a very specific one. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, there's obviously the two groups. There's the, you know, online scouting community that I'd say that are people who, you know, do this as fun or passion or whatever. And then, you know, Michael Rasmussen was that player that I was identified and he was being ranked in mock drafts as being 21, 22, 23, 24. And he still went ninth overall. Right. Um, I can't think of a, a, a player like that specifically, but I, cause I think that there's, there's been an improvement in the scout, like the online scouting community to recognize these players ahead of time, but it, it, it's hard to know what's going to happen on draft floor. We're still going to be surprised. We're going to see the Henrik Borstroms come into the first round. We're going to see Michael Rasmussen go ninth overall, and everybody's going to be surprised. The player that has stood out to me is kind of a player that we've identified as kind of overrated is Rasmus Kupari, mm-hmm. um, but he's starting to fall down in draft rankings. Right. And the player that was identified as being underrated, um, another Finnish player, uh, Jasperi Kokaniemi, is rising up the draft rankings. So I, I think that there isn't one giant red flag player about this group. I think that they're in the top 45 to 50. There's, there's a lot of players that kind of project to be NHL players, whether that's a third or fourth liner or a bottom pairing defenseman, there's still something there. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we have such a drastic player like Michael Rasmussen in this draft class. Um, You know, if we have this conversation in late June, I might feel differently. Um, But at this point, I don't think there's anything standing out. All right. Um, I think we've covered most of what I wanted to talk about here today. Is there anything else with whether it's draft theory or whether it's in particular with this year's class or uh, from the lottery that we haven't covered that you think is notable or anything? Well, like what makes a successful draft team? That's like, cause we talked about, you know, a team who focuses on skill or speed. Right. Um, and obviously there's still some to that, but is there another team that sticks out to you as being successful on the draft floor? Like in terms of like actual specific individual teams? Yeah. Is there you know what's... I feel like Anaheim has always drafted defensemen yeah. really well under Bob Murray here. I mean, I, I think it was... I forget who. Someone had a like a list of like year by year and they basically have gotten like one impact defenseman. Yeah, and they had at, a year where they had every player make the NHL 2011 or something like that. Well, they had the one year was like where like they draft... I mean, they drafted both Justin Schultz and Jake Gardner who they got nothing from obviously. But like... You know, Brandon Montour, Shea Theodore, Hampus Lindholm, Cam Fowler, on and on. And it's never, you know, even like who's the highest of those guys? Hampus Lindholm, and he was like eighth or something. Like it wasn't like, it's like a no doubt about it. Yeah. First overall pick. And I don't know. 
Like a lot of those guys, the unifying quality they have is that they can all move and they're all skilled. But yeah. I wonder with a guy like Hampus Lindholm, like I remember like looking at his numbers and I wasn't necessarily blown away or anything. And at the time of the draft, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But then you watch him play and it's like, oh, this guy's just good at every single thing on the ice. So it makes sense that they would have taken him that high. But so I guess Anaheim is one of those teams. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily translated that well to their forwards, but just in terms of defensemen, if they take a defenseman late in the first <laughs> round here or in the second round, I'm going to just chalk that guy I'm going to pencil that guy in as like a top four guy who's going to wow me in three years. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's, <laughs> it, if they take a forward, you're like, yeah, he's, he's, he's just going to be great. Although I like Sam Steele. I think yeah. Sam Steele will be good, but yeah. Uh, um, I, I think defensemen are the hardest to kind of rate. Right. Just because the, I think the scouting community still struggles, amateur and professionally, of identifying what makes a defenseman successful and why is another defenseman better than a, another one, right? Mm. And I think that, you know, there's it seems with every team, there's that one or two defensemen that the coach just seems to love um, that you don't understand how they got here. Roman Polak, Emelin, Goodbranson, all these kind of defensemen that you just – how are these players being rated higher? And we see that in the draft classes, um, you know, bruising defensemen and why is Hampus Lindholm going sixth overall? Right. So it is, it's always interesting to see when you, you know, after the draft, what teams say about, you know, specific defensemen and how they actually rate Mm -hmm. and how can teams be more efficient in doing so um, and improving that, that area. I guess the other teams would be like the obvious ones, like Tampa Bay, Um, especially like in the later rounds, it seems like they're just, sort of taking the guys with the most skill and just highest upside. And if we never hear from them four or five years from now, well, it's, it was a fifth round pick. So yeah. Like or, or a unsigned or undrafted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, guy. yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't know teams like that. I don't know. You mentioned Pittsburgh earlier. Like I think Philly has done a good job recently under the Ron Hextall regime. Is there any, for your perspective, anyone I'm missing out on that you think's done? I think those are the standout ones. I think that Philadelphia has done a really good job mm-hmm. of identifying defensemen. Right. Um, and they all seem to be big kids who can move the puck really well. Mm-hmm. Adam Provorov is a pretty solid guy. Yep. You know, Hag, Sandheim, all these players, yep. like, they might not reach their potential. But um, it, it does kind of point back to um, there is usually one general theme is that it's teams who have accumulated a little bit more extra picks throughout time in here. Are you trying to segue towards the local team here? No, in Vancouver? no, I, I, I talk about I talk about the Canucks a little too much, but mm. I, I think it's I think it's it, it seems to always be a common theme that right. um, you know it's more spins of the wheel. We talk about teams being more efficient and more uh, you know better on the draft floors, but it's generally you know there's a lot of teams that they just get more spins of the wheel, and it's it is a little bit of luck based when it comes to it. Well, it is. Still, I mean, it's still such an imperfect science, right? Like as much as you can be looking at the right indicators and. You can be getting rid of a lot of the noise and all that, but at the end of the day, it's like if you're drafting an 18-year-old, who knows what he's going to look like when he's fully formed in his 20s and a lot of stuff happens, whether it's injuries or yeah, just doesn't develop the right way or whatever, what have you, and then all of a sudden, you know, you never, you have nothing to show from that guy, and if you just invested all, you put all your eggs in that one basket, you're going to yeah. be very disappointed, whereas if you have four other guys like that, chances are one of them is going to pan out. Exactly, yeah, you're... you're you know, spreading the idea around a little mm. bit better. And it is always interesting to develop, like how much does situation play into it as well? Like we right. talked about Michael Rasmussen is that, you know, he was slagged by quite a few people as being a, a guy who, um, you know, 
scored a lot of points. The power play doesn't seem to have a high upside or anything like that. And he's been an absolutely like an absolute wrecking crew in the playoffs this year in the WHL, just because he's been, you know, been put in situations where he's going to be able to put up a lot of points against teams that can't deal with his size. Hmm. Is that going to translate to the NHL? And then when he gets into Detroit system in the AHL, how is he, you know, is he going to start on the fourth line? And is that going to derail everything? Or is he going to like, sorry, when he's in Grand Rapids, is he going to start on the fourth line and work his way out from there? Or is he going to be put in a situation where he's going to be put with two skilled forwards to try to work out and round out his offensive game? Right. So, I, you know, you, you, I follow the AHL pretty closely because of the comments and things like that. So we see a lot of teams that you do see where they're going to put, you know, players in situations where they're going to do well. Andreas Johnson, Carl Grundstrom in Toronto, um, you know, Syracuse, they just put all of their young guys all over the yeah. lineup and, and let them do their thing. And, and then you see teams that might be with um, other affiliations who where they're more leaning on AHL veterans. And how much does that play into the development of, of these players? So where do you, where do you stand on the idea of, drafting versus development in terms of like which you like the teams that are really good or really bad and on either end of the extreme is it mostly that they're doing the right stuff come the draft or do you think it is sort of an organizational structural philosophical thing in terms of like what they're doing with their guys once they're already in the system that is helping uh make that make those draft picks look like the smart picks yeah i think it has a lot to do with organizational because we talk about tampa bay um, and they've always, you know, over the last couple of years, the right. last five, six years, they've generally been one of the top teams. You know, there's been some hiccups yep. here and there. Um, so they're not, they're not getting players that are going to speed, you know, skip the AHL step. They're going to the AHL and they're being put in situations to do well. And then they're taking risks on players like a Yanni Gord yep. or Tyler Johnson for many years ago, and then giving them opportunities and letting them work their way up and things like that. I think that, um, the, you know, the, the development standpoint for players is, is definitely underrated in this mm-hmm. because, you know, Edmonton picked, you know, 31st overall for quite a few years. And I don't think they have a player to show for that. Um, where yeah. you're going to show that Sebastian Ajo came 35th and yeah. skipped the, skipped the process and did really well. So, um, you know, how did that 31st overall player in Edmonton fizz out because of the situation in their AHL team, or was mm. it just a bad pick from scouting? Um, so I, I think it isn't as simply, you know, the decision making being made on, you know, draft day, because, um, that is a, a whirlwind, basically 16 hours where, yeah. you know, there's a lot happening and it's, it's the two, three years afterwards and how much is that changing and, and, and how much are you controlling a player's, um, you know, success from there? Right. One thing I, I do want to say is that I know sometimes people will freak out. Like after the draft, we go through the same, uh, same dance every year. So the draft happens. Then the people who are paid to do so or do it as a hobby release their draft grades or yeah. teams they like. And then people freak out and go, how do you know? You got to give you like, let's come back in four years and see how it turned out. And, I'm always very passionate about this, but you have to evaluate the draft at the time of the draft yeah. because you're evaluating from a team perspective, you're evaluating the team based on the information we had at the time. It's not hindsight or revisionist. And so yeah. I, I just wanted to point that out. No, I a hundred percent agree with that. And that happens in any business, yeah. any corporation, you're going to be, you're going to have a review based on the, what's happened. And then you're going to go back. Yeah, of course. And then it it's again. fun to look back four years from now, yeah. how it wound up turning out. But at the time, Based on the information we had, yeah. whether you like the picks or not, that's the draft grades. Yeah, and, uh, and I like I will I would only ever do a draft grade because I, I like I think it's hard to put it into one or yeah. th- at eight. No, it's, I know, I know. <laughs> Don't get me started. I know, <laughs> but I do agree that you can kind of look back and and take a look at it. And I think that you know draft analytics has come far enough that we can look at percentages and mm-hmm. we can say you know they have a 
with these six picks, they have a 72% chance of getting an NHL player or they have a, you know, 56% chance of getting two NHL players based on statistical comparisons. Sorry, statistical comparable players. Right. And I think that's probably the most fair way to do so. And you do kind of have to do it at that time and then say, well, how do we do better next year as an organization? How do we improve? What can we change? Are you, uh, are you going to the draft this year? I just booked my stuff for Dallas uh, about a week ago. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, the draft's always a blast. I've only been to the one in uh, the one in Philly a few years ago, but it's always such a fun event for just networking and yeah. talking to people around the industry and, and all that. And I believe Vancouver's, is it next year or the year? It is. Yeah, it's the, next year, right? Yeah, they're hosting in 2019. Oh, I'll, probably be, I'll probably be here for that one. Don't so. have to go anywhere. It was no. funny. Someone asked if I was excited about being in Vancouver, and I was like, ah, yes, but then I don't <laughs> no, get to go. No, it's fun going somewhere else. Yeah, it's fun going somewhere else. Last year was Chicago. Year mm-hmm. before that, I went to New York City for a couple of days, and that nice. was a lot of fun. Um, and you're absolutely right. It's um, Even as being someone who, you know, you're still a little bit of a hockey fan in there. Yeah. Uh, I went to the Cubs game a couple nights before, and yeah. it, like, there was literally anyone you could think of in the NHL world was it's all there. Game. Yeah. It was pretty surreal at times to see that happening, but uh, it's, yeah, it's a fun event. It flies by the 16 hours of uh, actual draft because the mm. first night and then the next day, and then it's just, everyone leaves <laughs> like it clears out. <laughs> well, the, the best is like the, the thing that I really learned um, in my time in Philly for that draft was, I mean, I was still like, what I was, I mean, I was like 21 or 22 at the time. You're so young. Um, <laughs> and I remember like, so there's the first, the first round on Friday night, and then everyone goes out afterwards after everyone files their stories and yeah. you're having drinks at the bar. And then, you know, you have a couple of drinks here and then, and then a couple more. And then Saturday morning rolls around and, you know, second round starts bright and early. And just like roll off to the ring, just like sunglasses on, just yeah. struggling. And then you see like the consummate pros who have been doing it for like 30 years and you wouldn't even be able to tell they were out last night, like got their new suit on, looking yeah. fresh. I'm like, you're like 50 <laughs> years old. How are you pulling this off so gracefully? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's... um. For any young enterprising writers out there that are attending this year's event, that would, that would be my one uh, one tip to uh, don't 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 let the veterans get to you. Yeah, uh, drink some water. Yes, uh, that's drink sure, some because water. There's, there's, a, there's another gathering uh, prior to Friday night as well. So yes, uh, pace yourself and uh, have fun. It's a cool experience, so for sure. All right, Ryan. Um, Plug some stuff. What uh, what are you working on right now? Where can people follow you online? All that good stuff. Uh, they can follow me online at Ryan Beach, B-I-E-C-H. Uh, I write for Canucks Army, The Athletic Vancouver, uh, Canucks.com, um, and I am on Sportsnet 650 as well, um, the local radio station here. We're going to be doing... Um, up until the draft so doing at least an hour a week uh, in studio of talking draft prospects so nice. that should be a lot of fun so then you know if you listen closer to june i'll have a overrated prospect for you <laughs> awesome i'm looking forward to it um thanks for coming on to chat uh it was a blast and i'm sure we'll have you back on sometime here down the road thanks for having me cheers man the hockey pdo cast with dimitri filipovich follow on twitter at dim filipovich and on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey pdo cast